Selena Shands is the CEO of Full Capacity Marketing. Their mission is focused on brand storytelling and strategic communications in workforce, education and entrepreneurship. In this episode, you will learn about how and why to build a remote workforce, which Selena has done for 20 plus years, the importance of mentorship, why it's important for you to find work that you enjoy, and the significance of entrepreneurship. I grew up in North Carolina and um, did not have a Cinderella childhood by any stretch of the imagination. I think like a lot of people in all over the globe, um, yeah, I was dealing with a family that was heavily involved in alcohol. So it was a very tumultuous, um, unsettling, unstable kind of childhood. But the one constant in my life it was my sister. And she is to this day in the contacts, my contacts in my phone is Sissy Shiro because she raised me. At 15, she got a worker's permit, and she's seven years older than me. So she made sure I had things like food, clothing, and she was the one that encouraged me. You know, there's a private school, a little little country private school. I'm going to get you into that. And that was the best thing that ever happened because I channeled all that negativity and anxiety into sports. So I played everything because it kept me out of the house, right? Everything, basketball, softball, volleyball. And that paid off for me because I got a basketball scholarship to college, which allowed me to study business and marketing. Yeah. And when you were doing all these sports, was it like you kind of had that kind of safety of a responsible adult kind of like available at any given time with all these kind of coaches around you? And that's kind of what you poured into. Exactly. I think if you don't have a family, you find your family along the way, right? And so my family became my best friend and her family, uh, which, we, you know, I'd spend summers with her. She lived in the country. We would crop tobacco. I've been working since I was about eight years old. So cropping tobacco, saving money, you know, that type of thing. And then my coaches were mentors. My teachers were mentors. My sister, certainly. Um, I've been very fortunate to have a family even though I didn't really grow up with a strong knit family and that that really drove me plus my sister led by example she was the one that would tell me you know you can do anything you want to be if you dream it you can be it right that would be her thing she led by example because she had her own company and started it in mortgages she was a mortgage broker and started her own company so she really led by example so I had the benefit of her as well Mm. So you, you kind of had that that figurehead there of like, oh, it's possible. I can go work for myself, you know, not only as a woman, but, you know, I can work and sustain myself. So you're, you're going through college, you're studying business. Did you at any point think you could be like, you know, a, a pro athlete or anything like that? Or was it just something that you kind of enjoyed doing and you, you were good at as well? Very interesting you say that. Um, I, I never considered pros at the time were over more in Europe. And uh, so I, I wanted, though, to use my athletic background with business and marketing. So when I came to California, I moved from North Carolina to uh, California up in the Bay Area and started um, studying sports medicine. So I got a cert- certificate as a holistic health practitioner educator. That's like a 1,500-hour certificate where you learn body work and training and nutrition and things like that. And I started my first company called Life at Its Peak in my late 20s. That was to, I really combined both of my degrees after I got my master's in sports medicine. I, I challenged a lot of the tests because of that certification and was able to do my master's in about a year and a half. And uh, started a clinical program in the Bay Area that was multidisciplinary. So it had medical doctors, physical therapists, chiropractic, um, holistic healing, and and all of that. Um, So my company, Life at Its Peak, was really about consulting and helping doctors set up that type of practice as a profit center. So I did a lot of consulting, but I was also the rehab director at this clinic in Danville. And we had a lot of really great success with our program. So I self-published a book on it and taught other doctors how to set up that model. I've always been interested in replication. Like how do we scale things and replicate? So that was the first business, but like any entrepreneur, the market changed and you have to look at your opportunities. So what happened there was managed care sort of hit the scene and the profit margin shrunk. 
So then I had to downsize a lot of the clinics that were set up and said, okay, now what am I going to do now? Right. So, so many entrepreneurs say that, okay, what am I going to do now? And I fell back into marketing and communications and really leaned into that. Mm. So, you know, luckily for you, your first business was successful for a period of time, but, you know, due to forces out of your control, it kind of had to, you know, scale down and you're like, right, I, I still want to work for myself. I don't want to take these skills and work for somebody else. I'm going to do something else you know where you've used both of your your skills or both of your degrees at, at that first business you know most people go oh I'll start the same business again or I'll do something in the same field but you said actually I've got an interest in you know marketing what is the kind of time period of operating in here is it like the digital age is it pre the digital age because I've had some people on that have done like print marketing and you know that style of marketing and then there's obviously a lot of digital marketers now but I just want to kind of get a feel for what the landscape was like when you were starting in the marketing world well it's definitely pre-digital <laughs> say that and uh <laughs> I remember I was getting tired of the Bay Area. I was living in San Francisco at the time. So I moved down to San Diego and I took a job with the County of San Diego Health and Human Services Division. Because in between sandwiched in these businesses, I was looking at my skill sets very critically. What didn't I learn in school? What was better? And this, this job was fantastic because it threw me into like working with the news media and public relations, which I didn't really learn in school. It was more marketing, advertising, that type of thing. So as soon as I got in that job, I was thrown into like, oh my gosh, San Diego has an E. coli breakout. What are we gonna do? How do you communicate? You know, Press releases, working with the news media. So I was there for about four years and during, and I love that because it was very mission focused. We were working with things like mental health crisis, you know, uh, underserved populations, um, underrepresented populations. During that time, I wrote a business plan as part of my work for foster care youth. And it was this whole kind of center we were developing and getting the private sector involved in. Who sat on that board was with someone from the local Workforce Development Board. Now, I didn't know what Workforce Development was at the time, but he recruited me to his organization, and that's when I fell in love with Workforce Development and Education. And all it is, it, it's this whole system, public sector system that's out there. There's probably about 600 workforce development boards across our nation here in the States, and they get funding to help people with job training, getting their skill sets, things of that nature. Folks that probably are not traditionally going to go into a four-year degree, but need a skill set to really get out of poverty or look at different career paths. And that really excited me because I feel like I've always been an underdog, you know, and then launched into an entrepreneurship. And so that became my niche, was really looking at workforce education and most recently entrepreneurship, because one, I am an entrepreneur and have run all these businesses successfully. And secondly, entrepreneurship is a workforce development strategy. So people you know, that have good skill sets, you do not need a four-year college education degree to be an entrepreneur. In fact, some of the most successful ones don't have that. So it's a way out to really get out of your situation, which is something I'm very familiar with, uh, you know, how to get out of survival and really thrive in your life and leaning into what you want to do. Mm. And while you were working at this company, you decided that you were going to like branch out, go back out to start your own business. Was this the digital business, the remote business that you'd started at this time? So it is. Um, and even back then, let's see, that was 21 years ago. So that was still pre a lot of the digital and getting into the digital age. Uh, but it was um, helping with uh, organizations that have a workforce and education mission. And we would help them then in turn build a relevant brand in their community through storytelling, through very grassroots efforts. And we did a lot of um, education as well with them because we wanted them to be successful long after our contract concluded. So that's why the company's name is Full Capacity Marketing. That's what that means is we want to empower people. Um, if I had to sum up my vision in one word, it is about empowerment, uh, not only myself and others in the company, but those customers who we serve and their customers as well. Mm. So you've got this kind of, you know, distributed workforce, let's say around the country, if not around the globe, what were the kind of challenges you were facing back then with, you know, 
just keeping the business running and making sure things were going smoothly. So funny. So as an, I know people listening to this who are entrepreneurs can relate, you know, when you start out, you have to scrub out your own toilets, wash the dishes, you know, everything. And, and also we have different motivators as entrepreneur. I always say being an entrepreneur is very closely aligned with your personal self because it will bring up every single fear that you have <laughs> and you know the challenges come up and you go oh am I going to make it you know is this the right decision that type of thing well early on um, you know it was just me and my cat Sheldon I had found this little kitty uh, had a dream the net the night before I moved to San Diego and I had a dream that night and I had a cat named Sheldon. And I thought, this is the weirdest dream because I'm like a dog and horse person. <laughs> I found a cat the next day who was like maybe two days old. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is the cat in my dream. So I was working corporate at the time, working with this workforce agency. And I said, well, I can't leave this cat alone. So that he was a motivator for me to start my company and work virtually from home. Uh, so the challenge was... How do I position myself in the market where I, I, people think we're an agency, right, where we can do this work? And, uh, but really, it's just me and Sheldon. So those were the kind of the early challenges on. And uh, my board chair, Car Carm Santoro, he just passed away recently, but he was amazing. He was, he started so many tech companies. He was the man that invented the first chip that went in the first mobile cell phone at Motorola. And he was my board chair and just an amazing human being. He says, Selena, you, your website looks like it's a small, small potatoes. And I said, well, it's just me and the cat. He goes, you need to get a board of advisors and I'll chair it, right? So I had him to come on board and help me kind of grow from that perspective. That makes sense. So it's like really managing perceptions in the market. That was a tough one early on. And also the fact that I was a virtual company and wasn't based, say, like on the on the East Coast, then East Coast people would be like, oh, you're too far away. This was before, you know, Zoom and everything else. And so I also had that challenge as well. So I had to get out on the road and really speak at conferences and get to know people. And I was on the road a lot in that those first three years. Would you say that that kind of business model that you went for, you know, before it was popular like it is now, was a reason for your success? Yes, I do. It was difficult going through all the challenges, but it allowed me to attract people with like minds similar work ethics and talent from all over the place. So how we worked, if you think about it, and I have talent in every time zone, we have a national footprint. So we have talent in every time zone. So if I put to bed a project on the West Coast team, the East Coast team can pick it up and they're three hours um, ahead of us, right? Or so they can pick it up 5 a.m. in the morning, which is eight, eight uh, our time but it's eight o'clock their time and we're just working through the time zone. So it makes us have a competitive advantage in many ways because we're very available to our customers. Most people just work eight to five in different in one time zone. Well, we're in a multiple time zones and we can we have that specialty to do that. Um, I've also found too, you know, I was looking at a piece of research the other day from Stanford and Harvard and they looked at over 50 million job postings. This was back in March and found that the postings explicitly mentioning remote work are 12.2% higher. So that's a four-time increase from since before the pandemic. And I've always found that to be the way to go because it allows people to have work-life balance. And don't get me wrong, we have very high expectations in the company and, and how we work and manage all of those processes. But I like people to have a work-life balance too. We spend so much of our time at work. I think you've got to know your people and what drives them and motivates them so that they really feel one, they can contribute uh, and maximize their productivity, but also that work is not their entire life. And I think that's really important to have, you know, to create that stickiness with your employees, your contractors and your customers, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. And obviously, like back then, you wouldn't be able to really video call people or anything like that. So you're kind of just phoning people up and, you know, talking to them over the phone and trying to, you know, manage your employees that way as best you can. But, you know, we're, we're now definitely deep into the digital age. So I'm wondering for you, 
what has kind of changed from back then to now and how are you kind of making your business adapt to this? Well, how have you adapted your business to this environment? Yeah, I just love this. This is so much easier now. I mean, when COVID hit, we didn't miss a beat because this is the way we've always worked. And uh, so technology tools like Slack and Asana and Zoom, things of that nature, make it so much easier to automate processes, to uh, build the team you know, online and just really manage processes and execute them very well. I, I think, you know, when I, if I was to look at other similar agencies that have a bricks and mortar mo- model, I think our efficiencies are way better than bricks and mortar. It does require getting the right people in the company, but that's for bricks and mortar too, right? But have this mindset of being able to produce remotely. Um, and, and that, you know, to me is really important. We've always worked on getting the right fit here. You know, what's interesting is when I think about that now that I'm saying it, the right fit for us, you know how we help workforce and education organizations and they in turn help underrepresented populations. We are that population in my company. If I look at how I grew up and had to be on public assistance and really try to find my way in the world and all of that, um, we're no different than the people we're trying to attract for our customers to get them into the program. So I've had people on my team that have been homeless, uh, people that are immigrants, um, very, very diverse team. And that I love that because I think that's one of the secrets of success. Diversity of thought is going to create a better product and service hands down anytime. And research shows that over and over again. So, you know, there's this big push around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think it's a lot of it, a lot of companies are giving it lip service and not really understanding what that means. And for me, what it means is you cannot separate business from a person. They are one and the same. Who they are and how they show up to work for you every day is, is something that needs to be embraced and look at opportunities to help them improve. But their voice should always be heard. And I think that's, you know, a lot of time it's like a top-down management approach. Um, and I, I don't do that. We, we'll get a contract, we'll go into a team meeting, and I, I will have thought about it and done my homework, and I send my team a briefing package. And I get in and say, okay, here's what they want as an outcome. Here's what I'm thinking, but now I want you guys to rip this apart. <laughs> Make it better, right? And so we're constantly putting ourselves under the microscope. And what helps is that diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we've been talking a lot from like a bird's eye view of the business, you know, kind of getting a feel for the type of people that work for you and the style of the of the business model, and all that kind of stuff. I really want to kind of dig into, you know, the daily processes of the business and, you know, how the business kind of works. So if you could talk to me about approaching adult education and marketing to the kind of brands that you market to, how does that work? You know, what is the kind of messages we need to put into these materials and all that kind of stuff? Sure, sure. Well, I always say one size doesn't fit all. And if you look at the uh, here in the States, the workforce and education systems are very complicated. I know them because I worked for that workforce agency for four years. So I understand what students are going through and learners are going through as well as what the institutions themselves are going through. And um, everybody's configured a little bit differently. Um, their, their funding streams may be different how they can fund a project is different, who they serve is maybe very different. For example, if you look at the workforce system, uh, there's a section that goes after veterans and wants to in- include them. There's some that, you know, dislocated workers, laid off workers, out of school youth. So when you look at that and then you put them within a market, the process can be the same, but the outcome and the campaign and the recruitment efforts could be very, very different. So um, what we'll, we'll tend to do, as I said, we do a briefing package. I'll get the customer, you know, figuring out what their challenges are through in a discovery phase and then put together a briefing package. Um, I have an internal meeting before I ever have an external client meeting because I want to make sure all the team's voices are heard and we're solid going into that meeting on what we want to present to the customer as recommendations. So we'll do that. We'll go into the meeting and we ask a lot of questions and then we, you know, everybody contributes in that meeting and we come out with a solid set of deliverables, meaning do they need a new website? Do they need a 
uh, digital ad campaign, which for most of the part they do. And the reason I like digital ads is because you can really segment them into uh, age groups, personas, psychographics, things of that nature, down to the neighborhood level. And we know this from like, you know, you could be in a zip code, have a very affluent neighborhood on two streets over, you're in poverty. So just so, you know, so segmenting by just zip codes is not gonna work. So digital is usually thrown in there. We also, because we're trying to groom them and help them in an educational process to succeed after our contract concludes, what resources do they have internally? Maybe they have a social media manager, but they're not quite up on the trends. So maybe there's some training and coaching we can do there. Um, recently, we've been doing a lot of work with adult education and community colleges who are very siloed, you know, and so we have to figure out systems for them. If we're going to bring in these leads on a lead generation campaign, how do they get followed up with? Because it takes five to 12 touches to get that student through an enrollment funnel, right? And possibly even more if you're talking about an adult learner who has barriers like childcare issues and things of that. So we really look at the, that's why we have such a specialized niche because we understand their world so well. We're able to see what challenges they have and then develop the strategy from there. Um, so that's kind of, you know, and then we will put together the right teams of people uh, we let the customer know who, who will be contacted. We'll set up milestones with the customer on, okay, your website's going to be due, gonna be, we're going to design it here. They may want to collaborate with us on that. So we develop this whole project plan that's client-facing. And it's not a simple Excel spreadsheet, but it just gives them milestones. However, on our end, it's like, how is the clock built, right? Mm -hmm. We use Asana for day-to-day -day project management and then assign people, you know, okay, you're responsible for this and then have an oversight on a project manager. Um, I'm usually the one that goes out and does the business development, builds the relationships, um, a touch point with the clients, you know, making sure everything is going smoothly. I have internal meetings with my team, things of that nature. Um, I just hired a VP of operations who's helping me get out of the weeds more and more. And that's every entrepreneur's dream, right? It's like, I just want to do what I'm really great at and then trust my team to do the rest and then just, you know, go from there. So that's kind of the day in the life. Yeah, I was going to ask you because, you know, it sounded like you were very much in the weeds. And you said, actually, now I've got a VP of operations to get me out of the weeds. But yes. you touched on relationships and building relationships with people. Talk to me about that process, because it, it seems like everybody that's had a kind of tumultuous upbringing or difficulty in their childhood or early years, they really understand how to talk to people and they get how to get past that first layer of resistance into that second layer of resistance to really get to that core why. Why should we work together or who are you? What, what can I do to help you type thing? So I'm wondering how you kind of start your relationships. And obviously now it's a lot different to, you know, how it was back then. But if you can kind of talk to the beginning section of the business, how you're building those relationships and then, you know, what it's like now, what that looks like. So funny you say that, Sam, because if you look at my bio, it says Selena approaches business like a true Southerner, relationships first and business second. Um, it's very hard for me to separate out the two. And in fact, some of my customers, we have a 97% re, uh, referral and repeat customer base. So that tells you, you know, the importance of building relationships. And some of my customers become my really great colleagues and friends. I like that. You know, I, I can't, I don't know if I could ever separate out the two. Like business can be very transactional and cold. And I get that, but I really think it, it comes from a place of let's find a win-win, no matter what. Like, yes, I am going to be charging you for this, but I really want to understand that so that we have maximum input and maximum productivity and maximum results for you. So the conversation usually starts off with what challenges they are having, right? Now, being in business for 21 years, I have have now a huge portfolio that we have built uh, doesn't matter what they're trying to do. I, we've probably done it in this market space after 21 years. So I can pull and say, okay, let's show you some examples of what we've done in the past. And then we have a huge list of folks who sing our praises. So that third party credibility is really important. Um, in the beginning, you know, I'm just starting out, right? I'm washing dishes. So in that four years that I was at the workforce agency, I had gone to conferences and networked and got business cards and 
at one of the conferences, I said, hey, this was before, I mean, before digital. And I got a room reserved and I had the conference people say, can I have this room? And I want to put together a work group uh, for marketing for workforce professionals. So I kind of got people together from across the country at conferences, good old old school. And I said, you know, we should really share what we're doing so we can learn from each other, kind of a peer-to-peer model. And that's always been my sales approach from day one. It's like, let me do an educational model and build those touch points with people so they see me and the company as subject matter experts in this. So when they do get fun pots of money, they'll think of us, right? So in that little work group, and it was like 3,000 people we grew it to across the country. It wasn't anything major, but you know, uh, what we did is I just sent out a newsletter on listserv, good old old school about, you know, people would call me, I would call and interview them and say, hey, what are you doing here? And I would just start sharing what other people are doing. So that was really great because when I launched the company, I already had those contacts. I only started with one one contract, by the way, uh, but it's gone up ever ever since and have, has grown into a multi million dollar corporation year over year, which is fantastic. But in the you know, so it's really sitting down. Uh, so that's the old school approach. But uh, and now, of course, we have multiple things like blogs and e newsletters and you know Zoom webinars and podcasting and all kinds of things that we can do to showcase our models and what we, we've done. So it really is sitting down and just figuring out what are the challenges, how can we help you? And I think having that mindset of we want to work ourselves out of a contract has been to a benefit. Because you think about it, you're really in a relationship, what's good for them, not just good for you. And so if someone can, if I can set up a system that helps them sustain their brand over time, Fine, there's plenty of other work. All we have to do is create and invent, right? There's never a shortage of work. And I think people have, that has built a lot of trust. The other thing that we do is we're transparent with the budget. So let's say we scope out deliverables and you know I create a line item and say, I think this is gonna be the cost, but let's say we are very efficient at doing something. I'm not gonna charge the customer for that amount of money. Now people would say, oh my gosh, but your profit margins are not gonna be great. My profit margins are just fine. They're about 42%. So, um, but it allows me to say, hey, we had cost savings here. You mentioned this other thing. Why don't we have some seed money to start in this deliverable? Maybe it's a a different kind of community campaign or something. So over the years, what that has done is build a reputation of transparency and trust. So people can come to us and what happens is they'll get these big grants and they'll say, oh, we have, guess what, a quarter of a million dollars or 300, you know, three quarters of a million where we can do a huge national campaign. So that's one thing. Um, The other strategy is I do a lot of pro bono work. I do not nickel and dime people. When they call me, I want them to call me because I get a chance to get to know them to better. So I'm not like an attorney and say billable hours, billable hours, you know. I want them so I understand them better um, and what we could do for them in the future. So it's very much a long-term game. If it's about the money and short-term, there's not gonna be sustainability there. And uh, I've had a lot of criticisms from other agencies here. Like, I, I would not do business that way, you know, because you're trying to work yourself out of a job. Like, yeah, but if you see the need across the world in workforce and education, we have a big challenge. And we all, you know, so there's, there's going to be plenty of work. And that's how I've always looked at it. Yeah, I mean, you said something there that I think it's either Jeff Bezos or Steve Jobs said it's about playing long-term games with people, you know, as in not can I, how can I get, you know, a dollar today, rather how could I get $100,000 10 years from now? And yes, you might put in a lot of, you know, what people might deem free work, but it's not really free work if you're helping someone build and scale and, you know, make their business better to the point where they actually have you in mind when they do get that money or they do get that grant. And as well as that, you mentioned something there that a lot of people kind of, over overlook you said you know you're doing pro bono work but risk it's, it's mentorship and i feel like for That's you it. you kind of received mentorship yourself and you're like well i saw the benefit of i don't remember the guy's name that you mentioned in the beginning but he said that you should start a board and all this kind of stuff and he would help you out with that obviously at that point you probably weren't able to pay him a penny you know it, it really didn't look like a good idea but 
you listen to what he told you. You might have had, you know, a few bits where you're like, actually, I think I should do it like this. He's like, just try my way. And you tried it and it worked. And, you know, you're at where you're at now. So I'm wondering for you, how has mentorship played a pivotal role in your life? And then also what is kind of driving you to pay it forward? Like, why do you feel like mentorship is so important? Mentorship is everything. I look back like, you know, and... I've just been really fortunate to open myself up to people who, you know, you, you can ask the universe for help and the universe will respond, right? You just got to pay attention. Uh, I remember back, uh, of course, my sister was my first mentor, but when I was in sports medicine and at that clinic, and I said, I went to the doctor there and I said, I really feel like we should write a book on what we're doing because we could help a lot of people out of physical pain. That was my come from, not like, let's write a book and make all this money. But the come from was, let's help people. And I think that, and he, you know what he did? I've meant to tell you this. He, uh, he came, went back to his office. He says, I hold that thought. He comes back with a blank check. He signed it. He handed it to me. He said, write the book, self-publish it, whatever you got to do. And get, pay me back when the book sales come in. I believe in you. So it's like, wow, I'm talking about mind-blowing mentorship. That's like people that believe in you. And I look back now, like the, I think gratitude plays a big role. Like there's not a day that goes by where I walk through my house and go, wow, this is my house. Wow. And like to the point where I like my heart is feels like it's going to burst. And I think remembering where you came from helps and, and gives you the desire to pay it forward. The other thing I think is really my big mission in life is to help women entrepreneurs, which is why I open up that section as well in the company. Um, and I'll be in a board meeting, say, with a workforce or education customer, and I'll see a woman that has shut down in that meeting. I will call her after the meeting or pull her and have a talk and say, hey, you know, Sarah, I noticed can I just talk to you woman to woman? Is that okay for a moment? Can we put our other relationship aside? I just want to share with you what I noticed in the meeting. And if you're uncomfortable with that, just let me know. And usually the answer is, yeah, absolutely. And I would just say, you know, here's what I observed. I, I felt like at this point in the meeting, you might have shut down. Was I reading that correctly? And she'll say, yeah, I did. And here's why. And so we kind of work together woman to woman so that she has a voice in the next meeting. I think having a voice is really critical. Um, and it's not that you have to be assertive or aggressive. I think women have great skill sets to speak their truth with love. And it can, that's a disarming thing. You know, people think, oh, you know, I'm this sweet Southern girl. I am, and I have another side as well that really wants to get to the truth. So how we get to that, it doesn't have to be very forceful, but I can ask very pointed questions to help people see other sides. Um, so I don't know if I answered your question, Sam, but I, I do think mentorship is, is the key for everything. Along with that, I think as an entrepreneur, you have to sort of clean house periodically and let go of the energy suckers in your life. And that can be family members. And it doesn't mean that you, you know, get rid of them uh, completely, if, especially if they're your family members, but you're selective in what you say to them. You want to surround your people that give you good critical thinking and shoot holes in your theory in a very constructive way versus negative projection where someone's like, oh, you can't do that. You know what? That's, that's them saying, I can't do that. So I think who you surround yourself with is, very, is also very critical. And I've noticed that, you know, sometimes family members can be too, too negative and not support your dreams. So the, having that support system is really important. Yeah. I mean, if you were to have said to them when you were 16, 17, like, you know, in 20 years time, I'm going to have a massive business, lots of employees and be making, you know, multiple millions in revenue. They'd look at you like, oh, please, Selena, you're crazy. Go away. But, you know, you know, you started multiple businesses and, you know, you've had a lot of mentorship along the way. You've given a lot of mentorship along the way. So I'm wondering, you know, what are some of the things that have stuck out to you that I th you think every entrepreneur should know or keep in mind as they're growing or starting their business? I think uh, one of the, this is my financial advisor. He's in my circle as well. And one of the things that he taught me was, and Carm Santoro, who's my board chair, was my board chair, taught me this, is know your worth and be willing to walk away. 
So I'll give you a, a story that just happened recently. We were in negotiations with a tech company that had a solution for workforce and education and could have benefited greatly from a partnership with us. Plus, I really believed in their product. So we were having these preliminary conversations and whatnot. And I had projected that through our partnership, they would be, and their startup now would be at 40 million in four years based on the pro projected plan. And we were willing to come in and have some equity in that company and buy into the, you know, kind of in through our, our, our processes um, and earn it, earn it on different milestones. It's like, look, I don't want you, you know, I could see from their point of view, because it's always, again, trying to find the win-win. If I was in their shoes and I heard somebody say, oh yeah, right, you can make me 40 million in four years, but they were, they didn't necessarily believe that. So I said, well, let's do a, a performance-based incentive then. So if we hit a certain milestone, then we earn in this, we earn in this. We could not come to an agreement. And so I walked away from the negotiation, not upset or anything like that. My door is still open, in fact. I, we had a meeting with them a couple weeks ago and I just said, you know, I just know the value we're bringing to, the, to your company and I know that to get as a startup from this point to this point in four years is going to be huge for you. And if we can do it, then we should be rewarded. And so I walked away from the negotiation. Um, it could have been huge money for us as well. But again, it's not about the money. It's about the fit. So one thing as an entrepreneur, you're going through who is it you want to work with and what is that? What is your mission? What's your purpose in your company? And why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? If it's just for the money, you probably are not going to have long-term success because it is a long-term game. So you want to lean into what is your passion. I was fortunate to have that job in workforce development and, and learn all that I did in that, those four years because like, oh, this is it. You know, this is it. This is what I want to do to help people. Because I always think, Sam, like someone asked me what my vision is. And my vision is we wake up in a world where everybody, every person on the planet loves what they do and can't wait to get to work to contribute. Now, just think about what that would be, right? And um, if everybody could do that and everybody can and I'm living proof of that because I was not born with a silver spoon and had to go through all these trials and tribulations, but it can be done. And you, again, you don't need a four-year degree. I happened to go down that path because of my basketball scholarship, but skills, you know, are the game. That's, that's the big thing. The skills, learning from others and that mentorship, just finding the right people that can support you in that dream. Mm, 100% right there. I'm glad you mentioned something about you know having a mission having a vision because i feel like a lot of people start a business with the goal of making lots of money and realistically yes that should be a plan to make money because otherwise you're running a terrible business or a charity if you will yes. but your mission is what will drive you through those hard times when revenue is low or drive you through those times where you're having issues with employees funding whatever it is but you also mentioned about knowing your worth and being willing to walk away so we've spoken about two of your businesses, one of which you had to wind down way back in the day, another one of which you're still working in to this day, you know, in a more removed mm -hmm. way than you were over the last two decades. But you said before we got onto the actual recording that you'd sold a business. I wonder yes. if you could talk me through this business that you sold, you know, what was it? How did it scale up? Why did you sell it? And if you don't mind, you know, a rough ballpark of how much you sold it for, like low six figures, eight figures, nine figures, you know, nowadays, nine figure valuations are getting thrown around everywhere. So yeah, talk me through that. <laughs> well, it's interesting. So this business that I started was going to be a subsidiary, it was going to be part of my company. And one of the challenges that workforce and education folks have is they do not know how to interact with employers. They'll go to them and they need employers as part of their mission because just think about it. They want their students to go, uh, they want employers to hire them for jobs. They want employers to say, um, sit on their boards, their advisory boards for curriculum. They want employers to uh, utilize their youth for internships, mentorships, work what we call work-based learning opportunities. But the, the way they would approach companies, they would go and talk to them and say, oh, let me talk to you about my funding streams and the mission of our students. It's like, no, 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 you got to flip it on its head because 
an employer, it, what they are worried about is their bottom line. And they have very limited time. So for you to come in and, and assume that they have all the time in the world to partner with you is a wrong assumption. So how do you then interface with companies in a way that shows your value proposition and builds the relationship? So it was a relationship building kind of, uh, kind of thing. And um, it was, uh, we got accredited and did the, you know, learning events and things like that. And I had hired a consultant to come in and help me with the accreditation. And she really wanted to be a partner in the company. And so I split that off and it became its own entity. And, you know, she basically, I put her as the CEO and because I wanted us to both have CEO levels, because if you looked at the two companies, we were in the same markets. We were in education and workforce. So there was a lot of cross promotional opportunities that I saw going in, especially on discovery phases. It's like, okay, this could be really good and, and making money. What happened is it was too much for me to do the two companies simultaneously. And I was being pulled in different directions that wasn't, it, it just wasn't productive enough. So she ended up buying me out and I don't think she would want me to tell you what she bought me out for <laughs> because the company's still in place. So we parted ways, she's now running that, that company and then I, I went back to full capacity marketing. I also, one of the reasons I sold it too is I wanted to expand full capacity marketing to do the entrepreneurship vertical. I have such a passion with entrepreneurs. And so I started, well, this is going to be launched in uh, September. So coming up here soon in a couple months, uh, September 2023, for those of you listening, it's an EFCM learning hub. And we're going to do modules for entrepreneurs on how to find their unique positioning. How do they do like all the nuts and bolts of marketing and communications for a startup, which is really important. So, you know, again, I think entrepreneurship is not a straight path. You'll have opportunities that present themselves and they feel really right at the time. And then you get into it and say, hmm, do I really want to structure my life where I'm working 80, 90 hours a week? No. <laughs> yeah, so you got to kind of, and sometimes you do, I would say a lot of times you bite off more than you can chew as an entrepreneur. So that was one of my lessons for me. It's like, yeah, great company, great business. But it spread me too thin, um, so and I'm much happier now, just kind of being in the in the one zone that I'm in and hiring the executive level people that I've had to get me out of the weeds. Yeah, I mean the best advice is always, don't work too much and make sure that you hire the right people and this and that. But realistically, you know, people like you and me, we're gonna always just do it the wrong way and then tell you the right way. But then you can see the people in the distance, like, oh, they've got the same thing I've got going on. Because well, they're just gonna have to learn it for themselves. You know, I could say as much as I like, but they're gonna be, oh, but no, but this, but that. But some things can only be learned over time. But I feel like there's one constant through all the businesses that you've run in the last, you know, 20 years is there's always a community there. And even with this other entrepreneurship vertical you're building, you know, there's gonna be a community there. So I'm wondering for you, What's your view on things like masterminds and, you know, kind of that group learning model? Because you mentioned that that was part of the business earlier, but I'm just wondering what your view is on that and if you're part of any, you know. Yeah, it's actually part of what we're building because in our e-learning hub, I want, I've always wanted people to learn from each other. It's like when I first got into to entrepreneurship, I thought as a leader, I had to have all the answers and I had to know everything. That is so not true. It's like knowing, know thyself. What are you really good at? What can you lean into? And then surround your yourself with people that can help you with your areas of uh, weakness or opportunity, as I call them. But for me, learning gets accelerated, especially in adult learning, when you, how we learn as adults, when you can learn from your peers. And so there's different type of how we teach and everything now is really about, okay, here's a concept, here's the data behind it, here's a model on how others have done it, now let's look at you and ask the right questions and let's let you ask the questions from your peers because people who have been in it and done it together. So the e-learning hub will have a lot of that where uh, people get to interact with us as coaches but interact with each other at, re on, at regular touch points during this process as they're building out, trying to figure out, well, what is my purpose and what is my unique selling proposition? Um, I think the more 
entrepreneurs know themselves and what really drives them in their passion, that's the secret. That is the secret right there because you're going to want to come to work every day. It's like, oh, this is so cool. Yeah. I mean, that vision you have of everybody going to work and enjoying what they do, obviously, yes, there's a money part of that that's to play, but it's also about the work that you're doing. And, you know, being an entrepreneur is so difficult and it's really, you know, it's a hard, hard thing to do. And all the people listening, they know that it's it's a very, very long game. It's very, very difficult and you've got to have the right mindset and all these things and whatever, you know, they see it on social media. But why do you think it's so important that people have entrepreneurial traits or entrepreneurial learnings? Because I think it helps them fulfill a true part of themselves when Again, I don't separate out business and personal. I know all the books tell you you're supposed to, this is what you do here. I don't do that. I mean, it's just so part of my life. Um, and so I think finding who you are as a person and, and saying, this really drives me. And can I really get this passion fulfilled in a corporate structure? And if you can, buy, and, and that's what you want to do, fantastic. Then, then go that route and gain your skills and, and work up the corporate ladder. Nothing wrong with that. I think entrepreneurs are a little bit different breed in that they're a little bit crazy. They have, they're always like... Um, always self-doubting in a way, like, can I really do this? And then challenging themselves to do it, which is so, so awesome. And uh, when people will bring up ideas and say, can this be done? And people say, no, it can't be done. Entrepreneurs are usually one that say, well, why, why not? Yeah. So I think that, you know, those are kind of the traits of an entrepreneur. I, also, too, I think my upbringing without having control and having stability, it allowed me to chart my own course. And in the corporate world or when I took jobs, I would just tap out at a certain level, you know, and that was not satisfying for me because I knew I could do more. Um, I have worked in one agency in an interim. I was a VP of marketing uh, and they were working with doctors and, and, and this type of thing. And I remember going in for that interview and the gentleman that run the agency, he said, I tell you what, I'll give you um, a salary, you know, that's pretty good. Or I'll give you a lesser salary and a bonus structure where you can earn unlimited potential. So three months in, he called me into his office and he handed me my paycheck for the month. And he goes, I just want you to know that you made more money than me this, this month. <laughs> and I said, well, I suggest you get busy then. <laughs> my, and, we, and I laughed and then I walked out of the room. So I think entrepreneurs innately believe in themselves. They know that they can do it. And... So if you can achieve that in a corporate environment, great. But if you feel you can't, you're probably an entrepreneur. <laughs> yeah. You've got to go out on your own and, and do the thing the way you want to do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's always that one person that you, you would have seen growing up or you would see in your life. It's like they just can't hold down a job that, you know, they're really bad here or they can't turn up on time, all this kind of stuff. It's like if you work for yourself, yes, you're going to have to still turn up and do all this and do all that. But you don't have that person on top of you telling you what to do or you don't have that limit on your earning you know it's one of those things yes. where I've seen time and time again people that are dedicated to sports or people that are dedicated to very you know niche small things they make great entrepreneurs because they understand that if I do something consistently over time that builds and that grows and okay if something goes wrong I can correct it like this you know especially with a game like basketball there's so many different moving parts you got to know how to dribble well you got to know how to shoot well you got to know how to do layups you got to know how to defend if you can't do all of that you're not going to be a good all-round player and no one's going to want you on the team and it's the same with entrepreneurship when you first start out it's just you it's a one-on-one -on -one game and by one-on-one -on -one, I mean it's you versus you You've got to turn up every day That's for yourself. It. You've got to keep going. And as you're building and growing, then yes, you start to build a bigger team and you start to have, you know, less responsibilities. But still, you still have that itch to, to kind of be like, oh, how much bigger can this go? How much more can I put into this? And I'm glad that you said that you can't, you know, separate your personal life from your business life because it was like one day when I was probably about nine or 10, it was like I, I woke up and I switched on this entrepreneurial brain. I was like, hang on. We go to the shop and we buy, you know, toilet paper. We go to the shop and we buy paint in a tin. And you think, oh, yeah, that's just there. It's like, no, someone's getting rich off this. Someone made the tin. Someone made the handles. Someone made the paint. Someone made the toilet roll and the car. I was like, geez, wait. And it was really overwhelming for me because I was like, so there's so many businesses that could be started. But it's, once you know what you can do or what you want to do, then it's about focusing in on that. And I, I feel like that's 
partly what your mission is right now is helping people kind of taking all these you know random things that are coming in a lot of people will be like oh do drop shipping do this do do an agency model and you're like no 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 what's for you and how can we get you there you know step by step piece by piece rather than just showing you the the big picture we're gonna you know help you connect the dots Exactly, because who they are as an entrepreneur is really going to drive how the business gets set up and what's going to make them happy. If we set it up in a way, okay, there may be one great way of setting it up that's going to maximize profit, but it's not going to work for their lifestyle or what, what at this point. So it's like, okay, how do you grow into that then? How do you take steps along the way to ensure your happiness, you know, you've got a well-rounded life? and work is certainly part of it and a big part of it and you have these other things going on that also feed you as a human being that's so critical yeah and i feel like me and you see eye to eye on a lot of things we think in a very similar way but something i want to ask you which is something i ask every single guest what is it about what you do that brings you the most joy Mm. i think it's the customer's stories that they tell me so I'll give you an example. We were helping, uh, we do a lot of work with the Coalition on Adult Basic Education. It's a national organization that represents 79,000 adult educators. One of the organizations uh, within that membership told us a story about how they helped a woman, a homeless woman who was living in a storage unit. And she didn't have a laptop, so she had a hard time finishing her high school equivalency. They found her a laptop. They then encouraged her to get these stackable credentials so she could go out and get a job. And she's earning $60,000 a year right now and is out of the storage unit. So those kind of stories to me, it's like, I don't know, always pulling for the underdog. I guess, you know, that's what drives me. That's what brings me joy is when an underdog can achieve success. And success can be anything. It doesn't have to be multi-million dollar corporation. It could be, I want to get out of this storage unit. I want to get my kids back. I want to, you know, find a career that's meaningful for me. It could be a whole host of things. So however they're defining success, uh, because I just think that makes a happier person, it makes a happier community and a happier world. And that's, I think the world is so chaotic right now. I just feel like, wow, work could, work could be a solution. You know, people want to work. A lot of times I hear people, oh, that's a lazy population. No, they're not. Uh, they've been handed a, a, a deck that is very difficult to sort through and deal and everything else. So they need help. And if you give people that help, not continuously, but show them a way out, many, many times more than not, they're going to take that. So that's what brings me joy. Where can the people find you online? Okay, well, they can go to our website, fullcapacitymarketing.com, and all of our social handles are there. There's a section there uh, to schedule a consult. If you want to schedule a consult with me, I'm happy to sit down with you and talk about your business and your organization and kind of what your goals are. Uh, They can also go under the EFCM Learning Hub uh, fall of 2023, and that will be where all our online learning and coaching as well, uh, all of those materials are. Thank you for listening to People Explain. New episodes come out every Monday. We would appreciate it if you gave us a review on Apple Podcasts and shared this episode with a friend.